for a long time. And that's the way they talk to one another, by and large. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? That kind of stuff. I'm like, no, I don't know what you mean. You haven't said anything. All you said is, you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? I mean, so, so obviously some never grow up. But, you know, it's interesting when, when you sort of get an idea from random people about what sin is. We, we get lots of differing opinions. We get a variety of, of thoughts. Uh, we get some who seem to to really believe they know what they're talking about. We get others who say, well, I, I'm not sure. I can't say that for certain. We get some who, who would say that some sins are worse than others. We would get some who say they're all the same. We, we just, it's interesting when you, when you see something like that. Uh, it's interesting and probably scary at the same time to, to realize that so many people, and, and I would venture to say that though that seems distant and in some different city with people that we would say, well, they obviously don't know anything at all about what God says, I would venture to say that there are many of us today who have either been confused or are confused or work or live or are around people who are confused or don't understand what sin is and what it's all about and what it does and what we can do about it. And so throughout this series, what we're looking at and the series called Beginnings, is just the first few chapters of Genesis to really look at, at how did all of it begin. How did life begin? How did marriage begin? How did sin begin? Where did consequences come from? And, and we'll, we'll look at all of that over the next few weeks. And this morning we're going to look at the beginning of sin and, and how it began and, and the pattern that still unfortunately continues till today. And and with each message that we're that we're doing on Sunday mornings, what I'm what I'm doing for those of you who have access to it, we're putting on our church blog some resources that may be helpful. For example, last week we talked about the beginning of marriage, and so we I listed just some books there that might be helpful to you. Some of which are available in our church library, others of which you may be able to find at a Christian bookstore or something. But each week we're just putting some of those on there, so you can check tomorrow, and I will have listed some things that hopefully will will address the topic of sin and how we can overcome that in our own lives. And so, certainly whether whether you are confused or certain about what sin is, we know that our world is messed up. Uh, we, we don't have to look far. Some of you who sit and watch the news all day long come depressed today because of how messed up our world is. And so two things I would say, yes, number one, it's messed up. Number two, don't watch the news all day long. So you won't be depressed all the time. But we know our world is messed up. We, 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 regardless of whether you consider yourself a Christian or a religious person or whatever, you can look around and easily tell something's wrong. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. There, there, there are things that happen that we just think, why, why did those things happen? Why did bad things happen? Why does this, why does this person do that, and so on? And 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 even if you say, well, I'm not sure that the world is that bad. I, you know, I see the news; they blow it out of proportion. They're just trying to make money anyway, so they've got to talk about all the bad news. All you cynics out there, I know how you are. That's the way I am. So, you know, well, maybe it's not really as bad as we say. But if we examine just even our own lives. We realize that by and large, our lives are not really what we want them to be. We do things that we don't quite understand. Why on earth did I just do that? Why did I say that? I wish I didn't have this habit. I, I really wish I'd stop giving in to that. I, I wish my life would be a little bit different. And we, we ultimately, I think at our core, we know we're not perfect. Though some of you would never admit that. Don't elbow anybody. But some of us would never admit that we're not perfect. But we're not, and so we recognize that the problem then with our world, the problem that we see on the news, the problem that we see in ourselves, the fact that we're not perfect, stems from the ultimate problem, which is sin. 
And, and it didn't always exist in the world, which it, it didn't take long for it to come into the world. Once humans were created, sin quickly followed. And yet, at the same time, it didn't always exist. And so today, what I hope to do is trace back the story to where sin began and, and learn how it began and then how we still fall into the same trap today. I want you to understand, and we'll sort of start with this premise, uh, why should you be interested in this? Why in the world should you listen to a message on sin? What difference should this make to you whatsoever? Um, I, think, I think a couple of things. I think, first of all, um, that, that sin ultimately, and this stuff's not on your outline. If you're trying to, to follow along with this, it's not there yet. So consider all this free. Um, <clears throat> but sin is, sin is ultimately going to keep you from being satisfied in life. I really believe that satisfaction comes through enjoyment of God. And I think when we sin, obviously we find out that we cannot enjoy God the way He intended. Therefore, we cannot enjoy satisfaction. It keeps us from being satisfied. It also, I think, keeps us from having our deepest needs met. You may see lots of people who have their external needs met. Their their superficial needs that we think are needs and wants and great desires. And yet, deep down inside, they're just in turmoil because of their sin, because of their unwillingness to turn their life or their issues completely over to God. And so sin's going to keep us from being satisfied, keep us from having our deepest needs met, and ultimately going to keep us from enjoying God the way that He intended for us to enjoy Him. If we look at the Bible before sin entered the world, God just sort of walked through the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. They had a relationship that was enjoyable, that was peaceful, that wasn't threatening in any way. They weren't scared of God in any way. They didn't have anything to hide from Him. And obviously, sin turned all that around. And so, sin keeps us from enjoying God the way that He intended. And I think this too, I think sin ultimately as well keeps us from fulfilling the purpose that God has for us. And that purpose, of course, is to know Him intimately And then as a result of that, in tandem with that, one follows the other to make him known. Sin in our lives keeps us from being the evangelists that God wants us to be. Each one of us, if we have placed our trust in Jesus Christ, understand this, has the responsibility to be an evangelist. You may not be a vocational evangelist that you somehow get paid to go on the mission field, but each one of us is given the responsibility based upon some of the last words of Jesus to go and to make disciples. When there is sin in our life, we are, we are, are hindered from doing that. And we'll find out a little bit more about that as, as we go along. So there, there are things that we're looking at today that hopefully we'll see that maybe if we look at how sin began, we'll learn how to, to, to defeat it. And ultimately, we'll learn how to avoid that trap. We'll learn how we can have satisfaction. We'll learn how we can uh, have our deepest needs met, how we can enjoy God the way He intended, and how we can fulfill our purpose. So I'd like for you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. And as we get to these, if you have a Bible with you and you'd like to follow along, please do so. If not, no big deal. We'll have the verses on the screen for you and, and we'll look at these together. So Genesis chapter 3, let's look beginning in verse 1. We'll read the first few verses and then, and then move on. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it, or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and 
that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. We see here the very first sin that entered the world. We see what happened. We probably are very familiar with this story if you've been in church for very long or just uh, been around church people of any, of, of any consequence. You probably have heard this story. This is a familiar Bible story. Our kids have Bible story books, and this is in every single one of them. What went wrong? And we find out in this story. And so uh, I think the first thing I want to make sure we do today is define what, what is sin. If you're following along on the, on the back of your bulletin, you'll see some things you write down it. If you're into that, great. If not, then, then just act like you're paying attention. We'll all be happy. The more you act like you're paying attention, the faster I talk and the quicker we get out of here. You just, you know, everybody's, everybody's nodding and amen and now. So, so anyway, <clears throat> see, I kind of got you, don't I? I, kinda, I like that part. Anyway, what is sin? I, I want to make it very, very simple. Sin is simply this. Sin is rebellion against God. Sin is rebellion against God. We can water it down if we want to. We can say, well, it's, it's just missing the mark. Sin is, is just not really doing what God said to do. Uh, we, we look even in Romans and we see, uh, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And even sometimes we water that down and say, well, I've just, I've just fallen short. I've just come up short in life. I just haven't exactly done it right. And we almost have this attitude like, well, that, it, I, I tried, but it just wasn't good enough. The truth is, that the way that the Bible, throughout the Bible, describes sin over and over and over again, there is no denying that God looks at sin as rebellion against Him. Period. It can't be softened. We can't say sin and mean anything different than, than humans rebelling against what God said and who He is. That's it. It's not one of those words that has multiple meanings, and well, it can mean this in some cases, and this in other cases. It means every single time, rebellion against God. Doing life differently than God commanded. Going in opposition to Him. And, and the Bible makes it very clear that it includes all of us. Yes, you, and yes, me. All of us. Even those of us who would claim well, I've known God so long, He sanctified me, cleaned me up so much, I just, you know what, I don't ever have a problem anymore. And we may not say that, but some of us certainly act like that. Some of us would treat others as if they are so much worse than we are because, well, look at my life, I've cleaned myself up so much. And isn't God so good to me? Well, you're scum because you just sinned. Isn't that the way sometimes we treat people? But the truth is, we all stand on even ground when it comes to sin. Because we are all, all, rebellious against God, every single one of us. doesn't matter how young you are. doesn't matter how old you are. doesn't matter how long you've been walking with Jesus as a Christian. doesn't matter if you just got started. doesn't matter if you don't care anything about God. We all stand, when it comes to sin, on even ground. Because by birth, by nature, since sin entered the world through man, it continues through that. And by birth and nature, we are sinful, rebellious people. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that just the most encouraging news you've heard in a long, long time? Thank you so much, preacher, for telling me how rebellious and awful that I am. You're welcome. We are. I know at my very core, if I were left up to myself apart from Jesus Christ, I would be the most rebellious, sinful, evil person in the world. 
And I guarantee you that if I am like that, just a normal person, you being normal people, or at least many of us normal people, probably could say the same thing. You know what? If I were left up to myself and just acted only on the impulses I have, I would not want to see what my life would be like. Many of us have been through those times where we look and say, I know what it's like to live simply in rebellion against God by my own impulses, just whatever I felt like doing, life my own way. You've seen that side of it, and you know it's not pretty. Sin is a big deal. Sin, the Bible says, will destroy you. Ultimately, if you don't turn your life over to Jesus Christ, counting on Him and Him alone for salvation by God's grace through your faith in Him, that ultimately sin will destroy you for all eternity. You'll spend eternity forever apart from God, tormented in a place called hell. So it will destroy you for all eternity, but we know sin can destroy our lives here as well. Some of us are the products of sinful environments in our homes that we grew up in, and we see how it destroyed life in that home. Some of us see how our lives for a period of time were just destroyed by the things that we did. Some of us still reap the consequences for those things. Sin will destroy us. It will also destroy our relationships. I I realize that we talked last week about marriage, and and, and we, we spoke a little bit about those who have experienced the heartbreak of divorce, be it your fault or someone else's fault or whatever. But if you trace it back, even in that relationship that maybe ended in divorce, Tell me, did it not at some point start with sin? The unraveling of that relationship. Maybe it took long, long periods of time. Maybe it was very quick, but somewhere in there, somebody got off from what God wanted them to do in that relationship. Be it unfaithfulness, be it abuse, be it just not pursuing one another through love. Whatever it may be, sin began the unraveling of that. We see how it destroys relationships, and so it's a huge deal. Sin can destroy your health. Uh, many of us have experienced that. I, I know for, for a fact that many of us, myself included, have some negative habits as it pertains to our health. And we know that those things, if they're not in line with God, and God says take care of your body, we don't. Sin can destroy our health. And so we, we've got to know where we stand. We have to have a sense of where we are. And I want you to understand that we all stand in the same place, that we are rebellious against God We're hopeless and completely lost in our sin. Again, the most encouraging news that you wanted to hear. And I'm I'm glad to be able to deliver it to you. But sin will destroy us. We are by nature rebellious against God. Let's look then at, at how did it begin. We see the story here. How did it begin? And I think also how it continues today. Here is the pattern of how it began and how it continues. If you're writing this down, get this. Through an attempt to be like God due to a lack of trust in God. Sin began and continues through an attempt to be like God due to a lack of trust in God. I want us to look again at the interaction that Eve had with Satan. Look look at it again, verse verse 1. Did God really say, Satan's saying here, that you can't eat from any tree in the garden. And then verse 2, no, we we can eat from the the trees in the garden, but not the one in the middle of the garden. We we can't eat it or touch it or we're going to die. And then verse 4, no, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. And here it is. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will what? Be like God, 
knowing good and evil. It's interesting that Satan would say to her, God, God, God doesn't want you to do that because he, he knows you'll, you'll be like him. Do, do the verses in chapter 2 not say that man was created in God's image like God? And yet Satan somehow twists it to say, wait a minute, he knows that you're not really like him. You don't really have his stamp on you. But if you do this, he knows that you'll be like him. The temptation there was to be like God. And then verse 6, Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of it and ate it and also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. It's interesting that Satan sort of appeals to and puts in her mind and presents to her something that appealed to a variety of appetites that she had, her physical appetite. It says that it was good for food. She thought, no, that'll taste good. Well, that will be enjoyable. That'll fill me up. That's exactly what I've been missing out on all this time. That's what I've been needing. Our physical appetite was what was appealed to, delightful to look at, sort of her emotional attachment to what she was seeing. Her emotional appetite was appealed to. It was delightful. It was enjoyable to her. She had some sense of attachment. And then it was desirable for obtaining wisdom, her intellectual appetite, to gain wisdom apart from God. Her, her attempt to be like God through her physical appetite, emotional appetite, intellectual appetite, and then also her lack of trust in God. Eve doubted what God said. She knew what he said. She quotes it. She quotes it and even goes a little bit further. Maybe she and Adam had talked about it and said, look, we're not supposed to eat of it, so let's not even touch it. God had said, don't, don't eat from that fruit. Eve tells the serpent, look, we're not supposed to eat of it or even touch it or we're going to die. So she knew what God said. But he says in, in, in the verse, is it uh, verse 4, no, you will not die. There's a little bit of doubt that was put in her mind. Does God really mean what he says? Is he really truthful? Is he, is he really going to hold me to what he says? There was a little bit of doubt. Maybe she believed that God was holding out on them that he's keeping them from something that was really enjoyable, something good that, that they, they, they deserve to have, that, you know, I, I've earned this, this is mine to have. Maybe God was keeping that from them. Maybe she didn't believe that there would be any consequences for going against what God said. Satan throws in her mind, no, you're not going to die. God said you're going to die, but that's not really true. He just, he's just trying to scare you. He's just trying to keep you from what is so great because he knows that you'll just be like him. You, you'll be equal with him if you eat that. And so Eve gives in to her various appetites, her desire to be like God, her lack of trust in God, and she takes the fruit and she eats it. And before we start blaming Eve for all of this, the Bible makes it clear that Adam comes into the picture pretty quickly and doesn't hesitate, takes a bite as well. So they're in it together. It's not Eve against Adam, although we see, as we'll look at a little bit tonight, some of the consequences of their sin and what they experienced together. But, but Adam comes in, and we have the beginning of sin. And, and before we start blaming them and getting angry with them and all of that stuff, we have to realize that the truth is that we're really no different than Eve. We, we still sin because of our desires to be like God and because we really don't trust Him. And, and let me put it in terms like this. 
I think in our attempt to be like God, maybe we look at our own lives and we see the pursuits in life that consume us. The pursuits of gaining more, of rising up the ladder and status and so on. Or, or the pursuit of, I'll meet my needs. I'm not sure if God's going to come through, but I'm going to take care of myself. I'll be my own man. I'll take care of my needs. I'll make sure that I do this and I do that. Maybe we're just into doing life our own way. We'll be our own God. We'll make our own rules. We'll do it the way we want to. Or I think a subtle one, we'll just take some shortcuts to get where we need to be. I, I, I challenge myself and, and others a lot of times with this to stay above the bar. If you are in the business world, if you deal in finance whatsoever, it is awful tempting each and every day to skew the numbers just a tad, to not be completely forthright, to not tell people the whole truth for fear that, well, what if it doesn't work out for me and I take a step back? A lot of that boils down to I don't really trust God with what I'm doing, and so I'm going to make things happen. I'll take a shortcut if I need to. Just like Eve, we feed our various appetites, maybe without consulting God or doing it according to godly principles, our physical needs such as our job or providing or money or sex or just to try to make it in the world or gaining power or what that is, our emotional appetites for relationships to be loved, to just be liked, to, to, to have some sort of status in the world, to be wanted, to feel secure. We have all of those appetites, our intellectual appetite to know and understand what life is all about. Where should I be going? What are the things, what decisions do I need to make? And making those without involving God or letting those be driven by His principles. Or we fill our minds with things that may be pleasing to us but are not beneficial for our relationship with God. Our attempt to be like God by fulfilling the appetites that we have through our own means, through our own efforts, through being consumed by all that puts us on the same ground as Eve when she saw that it was good for food. Well, that would fill me up. That would really complete me. That would taste really good. That would be enjoyable. For seeing that it was desirable to look at, they, she got emotionally attached. Don't we do the same thing to the things in our lives that may not be as beneficial as God wants them to be? She was looking to attain wisdom apart from God. What is life supposed to be all about? Our attempt to be like God, to be equal with Him, to provide for our needs, to do things our way, and then our lack of trust in God. I've I, I found in my own life that my lack of trust in God is often preceded by, by this little statement. If, if I don't, then if I, if I don't do this, then, well, this isn't going to happen. If I don't step in and do this, well, then, you know, God's not going to... If I don't, if I don't, if I... If I don't do this, if I don't pursue that, whatever it may be in your life, if I don't, then what? What it comes down to is it's all about me doing as opposed to me trusting in God. There won't be any consequences, I think, is another way we exhibit our lack of trust in God. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, is, aren't we under grace and not under the law? Have you ever heard anybody talk to you about that kind of stuff before? We're under grace. We're not under the law. Else, you know what, hey, yeah, I messed up, but hey, you know, thank God for His grace. You know, I'm moving on, no big deal. In and of itself, that's true. In and of itself, we are under God's grace, which means that we don't have to live up to all the little 
laws that, that the, the Pharisees and, and all the people had laid out, all that stuff. But the truth is, we're still under God's law, to, to the law of Jesus, to love God with all that we are, to love others as ourselves, to be holy as He is holy. That's the law laid down in the New Testament, which in some instances is harder than the law that was laid down in the Old Testament. We say, well, there's not going to be any real consequences. God, certainly, He's so good, He's so loving, He wouldn't punish anybody for anything. And we, we lack trust in God that He'll actually judge sin the way that He says He'll judge it. The things we worry about, I think, reveal our greatest points of distrust in God. You know somebody who's a worrier? Probably got a few worriers in here. People who just sit and stew about everything all the time, wringing their hands, oh my goodness, they're never settled. Oh, what's going to happen? Those may be the folks who watch the news all the time. I don't know. Depressed, worried all the time. I'm not saying if you're depressed and worried that somehow you're living a life of sin, but understand this, that a lot of times what we worry about reveals where we don't trust God completely. Now tell me I'm wrong. I know in my own life, the things that I worry about most are probably the areas where I just need to release to God and say, Lord, you know what? There's nothing I can do about that. God, you are ultimately in control. Think about your money. Think about our economy. Think about swine flu. Think about all that stuff. Who is ultimately in charge? Who controls our economy, turns it one way or the other? Who is the healer of all disease? Are we in charge? No. And yet, boy, we worry and we stew and we act like we're in control. We act like we're the ones to be trusted. Or those people on Wall Street or the Centers for Disease Control, boy, if they just get their act together and send out the vaccinations, we'd all be okay. But the truth is... And ultimately, God is in control. And the things we worry about most potentially reveal our greatest points of distrust in God. The things we fight about and fight for. We don't want to lose our place in line, so to speak, or have to take a back seat to anybody. Maybe we don't trust God enough to submit in a particular relationship, just to, to realize, I don't have to be right. It's okay. The things we fight about sometimes reveal the fact we don't trust God to meet our needs for relationships and so on. The things maybe we think that God won't satisfy or meet our greatest needs or that He doesn't care, He's not paying attention to us anymore. Those things all reveal the ways that we don't trust God. And so think about your life. And I know we're being pretty general today, but... I want the Holy Spirit to be able to speak directly to you about what it is in your life where you are attempting to play God's role in your life, to be like God, be equal with Him, and then the areas maybe where you're not trusting Him. What are those for you? For you, it may be different than me, it may be the same, but I think the pattern remains that our sin comes through an attempt to be like God. I'm going to do for me what I think God ought to do for me. And I'm going to be my own God, make my own rules, or I'm just going to do my life my way. And that is due to a lack of trust in God. I don't really think God's going to come through. I don't really believe what He said. And at our core, though we may not admit it, that's where sin ultimately springs from. I think we can trace back every sin, every time that we give in to the simple question, do, do I trust God? Do, do I really trust Him to meet this need in His way? To meet this need in His timing? To show me what He wants me to do? Do I trust God? And so 
The, the question then, after we've defined, here's what sin is, rebellion against God, doing life our way, it comes through an attempt to be like God because we don't really trust Him in all areas. And the next question is, okay, well, that's great. That sounds really encouraging today. So tell me what I can do. What can we do? I, I want to first focus on what Adam and Eve did and understand what not to do. All right, maybe we can learn from this. Look at verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he said, Then he asked, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And here's their moment of truth right here. First of all, they hid it. You ever tried to hide something from God? Certainly nobody in here. I'm the only one, right? Okay, absolutely. And then the moment of truth. Did you do what I said not to do? Adam's great, isn't he? Look at verse 12. The man replied, the one... So, you know, if, this, if, if I didn't really believe God wrote the Bible, I'd have, this, this is humorous. The woman you gave to be with me, it's not even his wife anymore, the woman. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. So God, you know what? <clears throat> yeah, I ate it, but let's be honest for a second. I mean, you know, it was her, that woman you gave me. I don't even know if I like her anymore, God. You know, man, it, it wasn't but a few verses before I'm saying this at last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, poetry as soon as I saw her. But that woman you gave me, I don't know. I mean, get, get the picture. This is what Adam is doing. Fellas, we're no different, all right? <clears throat> so Eve's not off the hook, though. So the Lord God asked the woman, all right, fine, I'll play along. God says, what is this that you've done? And, and the woman said, it was a serpent. He deceived me and I ate. Understand what they did. They hid it first, or thought they could, but God walked around. His presence was everywhere. Here he is walking to try to talk with them, to try to have his relationship with them, just like it had always been. And he can't find them. Now, God's not stupid. He knows exactly where they are, but he's playing along with their game a little bit. Hello, where are you? It's like Marco Polo. Here they are. Where are you? And Adam, you can kind of see him kind of slinking around. You know, I'm over here. And God said, well, what's wrong? Well, I was naked, so I hid. Wait a minute, who told you that you were naked? What did you do? Did you eat from the tree? Did you do what I told you not to do? Well, yeah, but it wasn't you know, my fault. I mean, you know, this woman did it. And then, okay, woman, what did, what did you do? What, what happened? Well, it was a servant. Do you see how we pass blame all along the way? You ever been in a relationship with someone who never will take responsibility for what they do? You ever been around people who it's always somebody else's fault? They are never wrong, or at least they have some way of talking to make you think they're never wrong. And somehow you walk away, you have this issue with them, you walk away feeling like, well, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I didn't realize I'd messed you up that bad. You walk away thinking it was your fault all the time. And we, we have to interrupt this pattern because <clears throat> we've just seen what not to do. Because our, our, I think our natural inclination is to respond like they did. Uh, to, to try to hide it. To try to act like nothing really happened. 
uh, to try to sew something together, so to speak, to cover up everything that's going on, to put on a good front when we come to church. Let me smile, shake a hand, pat a shoulder, sanitize, whatever I've got to do. Let me, let me make, make sure that it looks like everything's okay. And, and then when we sort of get caught on it, well, well, yeah, but I mean, it was just a crowd I was hanging out with. You know, we talk a lot about young people. Well, they're hanging out with the wrong crowd. Ever dawn on you they may be the wrong crowd? I mean, you know, that's what I always try to tell young people. Look, you can hang out with the right crowd, the wrong crowd, but if you're not the right person doing what God wants you to do, no matter what crowd you're hanging out with, it's just the way it is. You've got to be the right person. It's not somebody else's fault. And then we blame that other person. They say, well, you know, it wasn't me. It was him. You know, we just keep passing it down the line. Our, Our natural inclination is to respond that way. So what do we do? And I, I want to wrap up our time together with, with talking about what is it that we, can, that we can do. And I think it's very simple. It's going to be something you've heard before. It's not anything that, that it's coming from me is just, oh, this is earth-shattering. Oh, isn't he great? He's so brand new with stuff. It's just simple truth from the Bible that's been there the whole time. Two things. Repent and trust God. I, I don't know how else to say it other than that. It's just, that's it. Repent and trust God. What I mean by repent is this. Own it. Take responsibility for it. You know what? Yes, I did it. I am rebellious against God. By my nature from birth, I am a rebel against God. I'm going to own it. I'm not going to pass the blame to somebody else. It's my sin, my responsibility. And as a result, I'm going to confess it. That just simply means agreeing with God on what it is. You know what, God? Yep, you're right. That was wrong. That was sin. That's exactly what it was. I'm not going to try to hide it. I'm not going to try to blame somebody else. I'm not going to try to run from it, cover it up, act like everything's okay. God, I'm going to own it. I'm going to confess it. You are exactly right. What I did was sin. And then I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it right where it was. Jesus, with the story of the woman in the New Testament, says, Go and sin no more. He had forgiven her. He had given her the grace to overcome that sin. And he said, Look, leave it here. Turn away from it. Go and sin no more. So repent. Own it. Confess it. Leave it. And then trust God. Two great things about God we can trust. One is His character. We can trust His character. There's a verse that you'll see on the screen, Psalm chapter 145. And to me, it just sort of sums up the general character of God. I searched for one verse because I didn't want to read you the whole Bible this morning. I figured you'd want to get out of here by the time I was done. And so... I thought, is there one verse that sums it up? Psalm 145, verse 8. Look at this. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and great in faithful love. That's who He is. That sums up God's character. He is gracious. He is compassionate. He is slow to anger. Thank God He is slow to anger. And He is great in faithful love. Love. He never stops. You can trust God's character because He is good. If you encounter a situation where you think, Am I going to go my way or am I going to go God's way? Understand whose nature you're trusting. By nature, I am a rebel against God. There is nothing good in me by nature. But in God, He's all good all the time. Who am I going to trust? I can trust His character because He's loving, because He is faithful. Because He never fails. He is righteous. He's gracious. He is for me. I can trust His character. I can also trust His Word. There's a couple of passages that I won't ask you to turn to, but 
you may want to write down the reference. One is Psalm 119, 105, where the Bible says that God's Word is a lamp for our feet and a light on our path. It shows us how to live, shows us where to go, shows us how to put one foot and down, down in front of the other. And then another maybe familiar passage of Scripture over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Paul writing to Timothy and, and, and telling him about the power of God's Word. He says, God's Word is good for teaching. That means helping us understand the truth. God's Word is good for rebuking, he says, which is showing us right from wrong. How do we know? God's Word is good for correcting, which means helping us to get up when we've fallen. And God's Word is good for training, and that just helping us develop, helping us become the people God wants us to be. You can trust His Word because it's a light for your path. It's a lamp unto your feet, the Bible says, because it's good to, to show you what the truth is, to help you know right from wrong, to pick you back up when you've fallen, and to help you develop the right way. So you can trust God's character, trust His Word. And I want to challenge us to do that in the smallest things. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 say, Trust in the Lord with what part of your heart? All. And then in verse 6, in what? In all your ways. It's not just the big things. It's not just the monumental decisions that you have to make. It's not just the ones where we think, oh, I really better pray about this. It's in every single little thing. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, in all your ways. Lean on Him. In the smallest little things, you lay a foundation for avoiding big problems later on. And if you ignore the little things, those little areas of sin in your life, well, it's not really a big deal. It's not like I killed somebody. It's not like I stole something. It's not like I did one of the big ones. But in those little areas of sin, each little decision to trust and to obey God, if you ignore those little things, you're asking for trouble because those things add up. And boy, couldn't we tell stories of, wow, I wish I had gone back five years and just interrupted that pattern right there because it became something big. It became something in my life I couldn't avoid anymore. It became something that destroyed a relationship. It became something that set me back 20 years because I couldn't stop it. It's those little things because most problems don't happen overnight. And if you if you are truthful, you know it's caused by a pattern. And if you work on those little things that produce character, that produce faithfulness, and you prevent most larger problems, most larger sins as we would like to call them, we prevent those by heading them off before they happen. Trust God's character. Trust His Word. Trust Him in the smallest little things. Obey Him in every opportunity that you have. And I think along with that, I'd challenge you to get some help. Get some help along the way. We need someone to help us see if we're really trusting God in all these areas. I have some really good friends, and I'll talk to them about, hey, what do you think about this? Tell me how I'm doing. You know God's Word. Tell me, am I, am I reading this wrong? Am I really trusting God in this? We need some people to help us. We need somebody to maybe prod us along to help us obey God. I, I would challenge you, if you make a commitment to the Lord to trust Him in the smallest little things, Tell somebody about it. Ask them to help you keep it. Say, you know what, I don't even know what that means, but just talk to me every once in a while and say, would you, you know, how are you doing? Uh, the next time your appetites rev up, your physical, your emotional, your intellectual appetites, and you're, 
you're tempted to try to, to be like God, I, I want to challenge you to find out how God has promised to meet those particular needs, to find out what He's said on it. I want to challenge you to be unwavering in your commitment to Him. Because nothing is more satisfying than an uninterrupted friendship with God. We've tried a lot of different things as humans to find complete satisfaction and peace. And nothing is more satisfying. I wish I could say this more often. Nothing is more satisfying than uninterrupted friendship with God. Nothing. Your trust and your obedience ensures that satisfaction. And it also ensures the fulfillment of your purpose, which is evangelism. To show people what it means to truly trust God. That obedience, that trust, helps people to see, lost people to see what happens when a person really does trust God. You ever, you ever talk to a person who you think almost, yeah, right. Because they just seem to trust God, it doesn't matter what happens. Tragedy strikes their life, and somehow they're okay. Sure, they're sad. Sure, they're upset. Certainly, they're human, no doubt. But there is something, some inner stability and strength that's not human. They trust God. They've learned to obey Him. They've learned that God is in control. They've learned, I'm not God, and He is. How many people could be reached through your obedience? How many people could be impacted by your simple trust in God? Combating sin begins with an understanding of what it really is, that it's rebellion against God. We can't sugarcoat it, can't make it sound any different. It happens through our attempt to be like God, maybe to be our own God, make our own rules, to do life our way, and because we really don't trust Him. And we overcome it by God's grace and through our faith in Jesus Christ as we repent and as we trust in Jesus. That's how we overcome it. Each and every moment of our lives that's our only means for salvation. That's our only means for satisfaction. And so in your life, do you trust God? Do you really trust Him? Young, old, in between. Is that the pattern of your life, to trust God? In temptation, do you trust God? When your appetites are appealed to, do you trust God? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, we'll close with this. Those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. How does that start? Those who trust in the Lord. Those who trust in the Lord. You trust in God. You'll receive the meeting of your deepest needs. You'll understand what life is meant to be. You'll, you'll have uninterrupted friendship with God. Trust in Him. Every situation, I'm convinced, where we have opportunity to sin, and that's right now, that's as we leave, that's as we drive away, that's as we go home, that's everything, comes back down to the basic fact, do I trust God? Is He big enough to meet these needs? And do I trust Him? Do I trust Him with my life? Maybe you're a person today who says, you know, I, I, I've been kind of doing life my own way and nobody would really know because I'm good at hiding and I've sown the fig leaves everywhere. But I've been doing life my way. 
And I want Jesus in my life because I realize that ultimately in myself, I'm a rebel against God. He's my only hope. That's all I got. What area of your life do you need to trust Him? Do you need to stop playing God and let Him do His thing? Young, old, in between, we've all got something, I guarantee you. Make a commitment to the Lord today to trust Him in the smallest little things. Get somebody to help you. Walk out of here after you've repented, owned it, confessed it, and left it, and trust God. That's how you combat sin. It started because of an attempt to be like God through a, due to a lack of trust in God, but we can turn it around. Just repent, trust God, and move forward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for <clears throat> what your word says and how we can combat the sin that's in our lives. Lord, may we not be foolish enough to think that we have no sin. Lord, your word in 1 John says that those who are without sin deceive us, who say they're without sin deceive themselves. And the truth is not in them. And so, Lord, may all of us today recognize that apart from Jesus Christ, apart from your grace, that we are hopeless and rebellious against you. But God, we don't want to leave with just feeling discouraged about that because we know that by your grace that you give us a new life. That by your grace we can overcome sin. That by your death, Jesus, and your resurrection, you conquered sin for us. And so Lord, today we repent of the things where we have attempted to fill your role in our lives, where we have not trusted you. Where we own those things and say they are ours, and we confess them and say, yes, they are sin, and we want to leave them here today. And our commitment, Lord, is to trust you in the smallest things with all of our heart and all of our ways. And Lord, we thank you for the blessings. Thank you for meeting our deepest needs when all of that happens. Thank you then for using us to reach other people so they may see what it truly means to experience you. Lord, in a few moments as we leave this place, help us to remember to trust you. Remind us of the question, do I trust God? Lord, lead us in the path that you want. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's close in a song.